Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast. We're back for our Friday episode for week three of uh, the 2022 to 20, or sorry, 2023 to 2024 NBA season. I was about to revert back to last season's podcast but uh yeah we're happy uh we're getting into the weekend of course tonight we've had our second night of in-season tournament action uh a lot of those games kind of wrapping up as we record this um first of all i'm your host karsten welcome to the show uh or welcome back to the show whether you've been listening previously or you're brand new to the podcast uh both ways we really appreciate appreciate your support and appreciate you tuning in to our show um hopefully uh you know, we have a little bit smoother of a podcast than last time. Uh, last time as it was a little bit rushed, I felt. And then at the end, had a bit of a, a goof. I, as I've mentioned a few times, obviously this year we're doing some increased, uh, you know, production value, I suppose, in the, uh, the audio drops and doing that live along with our intro and outro music. Um, as I was doing the outro music, I played it and then was thinking oh i'll say have a good rest of your week but then i said have a good weekend and then i had to kind of last minute wait not weekend and then i just left it there uh fun times but we're back uh and this time we're really are going to be getting into you know after this episode will be in in the weekend proper so definitely looking forward to that but regardless let's go ahead waste no more time and get into our game summaries and key news from the last couple of days of nba action All right, I've picked six games for us to focus on mainly today instead of the five. Um, Six we'll go a little more in depth on, and then we'll, of course, briefly explain, uh, or not explain, but summarize the remaining games as far as results and some standout players. We're going to start on Wednesday with the Philadelphia 76ers hosting the Boston Celtics. One of the great rivalries, of course, uh, the Celtics and Lakers, a far more prominent rivalry as far as fan perception and history alike but also Celtic Sixers has a lot of history um in the 80s these teams simply hated each other maybe slightly more so than they hated the Lakers i mean they played maybe a little bit more often being in the eastern conference but uh you know in the 60s there was a there was rivalry when you know Chamberlain was there of course Chamberlain and Russell um and in recent years, it's heated up again, you know, because uh, both these teams are in the top mix of the Eastern Conference. They have been for the past few seasons, but the Sixers come out on top at home, 106 to 103 in this one. The Celtics second straight loss after previously being undefeated uh, before those losses. Uh, a couple lead changes in this one, but the Sixers uh, never trailed after the uh, after the first half, leading by as many as 15 towards the end of the fourth quarter. Celtics made kind of a quick run towards the end, but uh, was a little bit, you know, too little too late, I suppose, in that game. For the Celtics, they were led by Chris Epps, Porzingis, 29 points, six boards, three assists. Uh, solid all-around game. 19 for Derek White as he returned after one game absence. Jason Tatum, 16 points, 15 boards, six assists, and three steals. Um, not as bad of an offensive performance. I mean, he we talked about this last season as far as, you know, he can be so incredible some nights, but then there's, you know, every 
every fourth game or every third game or something like that, it feels like he has a bit of a letdown performance, you know, and would like to see a little bit more consistency, but still a very solid performance. You like to see him contributing in a lot of other ways, which he does more often than not. Uh, 12 points for Drew Holiday, five boards, five assists, and then 11 points for Jalen Brown with a steal and a block. 13 off the bench for Sam Hauser. Not terrible for the Celtics. They just, uh, you know, came up on the short end against the Sixers, who I think have really been playing nicely since the Harden trade or even before that. Um, Joel Embiid, 27 points, 10 boards, four assists and four blocks. Maxi, Tyrese Maxi, 25 points, nine boards, five assists, two blocks, a steal. I love what Maxi and Embiid are doing, them being the dynamic duo in place of Harden. Uh, you have Maxi now, who of course had been breaking out the last season or two, but he's really stepped up even in an even bigger way this season. Um, Seventeen points for Tobias Harris with nine boards and three assists, and then Kelly Oubre Jr. fourteen points and eight boards. Um, yeah, decent all round, you know. And it looks like Covington and Batum are going to get more of the the bench minutes at the forward, and KJ Martin might be struggling to find minutes in the lineup. Um, otherwise. Great win for the for the Sixers here. They've looked good. We'll talk maybe a little more in depth in our, our power rankings next uh, on the next episode on Monday. But they currently have the second best record in the NBA at the point we're recording this seven and one just behind the Denver Nuggets who are eight and one. And, um, you know, it's funny to look at this compared to the the Clippers. We'll talk about actually um just after this next game summary, let's move to that next game. Yeah. The Clippers, the LA Clippers on the road in Brooklyn against the Nets. They lost to the Nets 100 to 93, their second game with Harden in the lineup, their second straight loss. And uh, we'll talk about that team storyline in just a second, but uh, talking about the game itself, uh, competitive game, a few lead changes. I mean, the Clippers held kind of the advantage early and then the Nets, uh, played a lot better in the second half and were able to come up with the victory box score for the Clippers. Paul George led the way in scoring 24.7 boards, three steals, a block uh, 17 for Kawhi Leonard with six boards, two assists, two steals, a block um, Russell Westbrook with 13 points, seven boards, eight assists, Harden 12 points, eight boards, five assists, two steals, 10 points, 10 boards for Avita Zubats and three blocks. 10 points off the bench for Norman Powell. I mean, you sort of have all the elements of what can make this team successful. You know, the four leading scores were the four stars, but they didn't score that many points. I mean, their percentages were not great, so that's certainly a factor. Um, Norman Powell, you'd maybe like to see even more points from him off the bench. Um, you know, they didn't even turn it over it that much compared to you know what we've seen from other teams or other players or on other nights the defense was there i mean just making shots i mean you can chalk it up to that and maybe even the the previous loss as well but uh i don't know it, it's interesting that right after that trade after they had had a, a great start to the season they kind of lose momentum here um but give credit to brooklyn i mean lonnie walker the fourth a, a nice game off the bench to lead them in scoring with 21 points uh, Cam Thomas, 14 points. He left the game early with an ankle injury. We'll talk a little more on that in just a moment. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal, 12 points each. Uh, O'Neal with 10 boards. Finney-Smith with nine boards. Starting at 
power forward and center, those two. Finney Smith at the center, sort of, I guess. Um, modern NBA for you. I, I it works. I it just we it's weird for me to compute as I've talked about before. But uh they each of them also had three blocks in the game. Um Mikhail Bridges, 10 points, eight boards, seven assists, two steals, two blocks, kind of filling up most of the stat sheet there. And then Dayron Sharp off the bench, eleven points and ten boards. Um and no, you know, no standout. I mean, Lonnie Walker, that's a nice game for him this season. No incredible performances by the Nets. They just played better as a team than the Clippers, I suppose. And they shot better percentages, but uh, it's kind of what it comes down to, I guess. And uh, with that, let's, yeah, talk just a little more about the Clippers. Two straight losses. They've now uh, kind of fallen fast again early in the season. So a couple losses will, will fall, you know, will drop you quickly in the, in the standings, actually, it's the last three games. They've lost both of Harden's games, and then they lost their. Ooh, that's definitely not a good trend. They're currently tenth in the West. Um, they're still ahead of the Lakers. Um, they're in the play-in picture, of course, and but uh, also like an eighth of the way, not even that into the season, a tenth of the way, maybe. Um, definitely early. But the early returns, you know, it's interesting to to look at. Another note, they're undefeated at home, but winless on the road. So another factor, just kind of getting their bearings for being able to play on the road. The percentages are off and they're acclimating a new player. You know, there's plenty of reasons to to give them the benefit of the doubt, but there's also plenty of reasons to say, you know, these could be things that take a while to resolve. Um, it's hard to say. You know, I just know that they were three and one before the trade. That much is true. They very well could end up better because of the trade because they they add talent. I have concerns about losing the depth. The Sixers look pretty good. There's a lot of time left to see how this all shakes out, but at the moment it seems a little bit concerning for the Clippers. That's all I'll say. And uh, maybe concern for the other LA team, the Los Angeles Lakers. We'll talk about that game next. The uh, Houston Rockets win at home against the Lakers, 128 to 94. Blowout loss to a, a Rockets team that, you know, they're building. They made a ton of moves in free agency. I expected them to be improved. Um, they've been slightly improved, but they're not you know, beat the Lakers by 20 plus points improved. I wouldn't think, um, yeah, the, the Rockets never trailed. They, uh, they win it by how many points is that? 34 points just shy of the 35 point lead, which was their biggest towards the final few minutes of the fourth quarter. Um, yeah, the Rockets just outplayed the Lakers. I mean, the Lakers had some some better defensive numbers, but uh, the Rockets had 20-plus more rebounds, some more assists, and they shot way better from the floor. Second-chance points, fast-break points, any way you want to kind of chalk it up. Other than the defense, the Rockets really just kind of controlled this game. Uh, box score-wise for the Lakers, their leading scorer was actually Rui Hachimura off the bench with 24 points, eight boards, two assists, two steals. He had a really great game. It's kind of a shame that they weren't able to, uh, to get the win. D'Angelo Russell with 22 points, four assists, three blocks. LeBron James, 18 points, six boards, two assists. Um, no Anthony Davis in this one. And 
yeah, the, a lot of the rest rest of the team just struggled. I mean, Austin Reeves, two of nine from the floor, uh, missing all four of his three-point attempts. Max Christie with significant minutes off the bench, one of eight. Um, Christian Wood, one shot attempt from the floor, and he missed it. Um, just a lack of offense for the Lakers. Meanwhile, for the Rockets, Jalen Green, we know he can be electric as an offensive player. 28.7 boards, three assists. Great percentages as well. Five of six from three-point range. Very hot shooting. They got 19 points from Alperen Shingun, seven boards, four assists. Uh, 14 points for Jayshon Tate. Uh, like to see him get some run. You know, he he was a all-rookie second-teamer, I want to say, uh, just a few years back. Kind of got lost in the mix. He's an, he's an okay rotation player. That's all I'm saying there. Uh, and then 12 points, six boards for Jabari Smith Jr., you know, and really not as many, you know, not a ton of individual standout scorers, but they just got a lot better, more well spread out scoring a lot from the other guys. Fred Van Vliet with nine points and 10, 10 assists, uh, nine for Jeff Green, nine for Terry Eason, seven for Aaron Holiday, uh, six for Boban Marjanovic. I mean, getting minutes in the in the fourth quarter, I imagine just just guys scoring in more plentiful numbers, more efficient shooting from those guys when they took shots. Um, they, they just outplayed the Lakers. That's all there is to it. Um, Lakers. Should we talk them? We'll talk them for just a second as far as uh, yeah, they're Oh, it's updated now. I guess, I think that's from the Spurs winning rather than the Lakers losing a game, but they've lost their last three much like the Clippers, but they're three and five. I don't know. I'm, you know, Anthony Davis, I haven't seen any updates as far as a, a big injury. I imagine uh, maybe just some sort of small thing that kept him out of this game. Uh, hopefully nothing more than that. You know, I've, he's played very well to start the season. LeBron has been good for the most part, good to great for the most part. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's just early getting things figured out. In a sense, I mean, they have some small roster turnover in the sense of bringing in a lot of, you know, bench uh, support, if you will. Um, Reeves has looked good most most of the time. Um, early season, uh, you know, feeling things out, I think you could chalk it up to that. Um, you know, I think they will be uh, – I still think they'll be very good this season. Um and interestingly enough, even though there's, you know, they have one more loss, uh, I'm not as concerned for the Lakers as I am for the Clippers at this point. But uh, I guess that's all I have to say about that right now. Again, we'll talk more extensively about teams and power rankings. Let's move on to our last uh, Wednesday game. Of course, the last three were from Wednesday. This one, our final Wednesday game, we'll focus on in depth. Uh, Bradley Beal's regular season debut for the Phoenix Suns finally happened. He missed the first seven or so games dealing with uh with back issues but he was back in the lineup in chicago against the bulls and they win that game in a very close overtime game 116 to 115 their final score there uh as the suns pull it out they led for a good chunk of the game the bulls took the lead at a few times actually there was 10 lead changes um the suns led late but then the bulls tie it force in overtime it looks like the bulls might win it in overtime but then the sun's able to come out with the victory 
Uh, looking at things for the Bulls, leading scorer Nikola Vucevic, 26 points, six boards, three assists, a steal and a block. 22 each for DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine. Uh, Levine also with eight boards, eight assists. Uh, DeRozan with seven assists, two blocks, a steal. They got 19 points off the bench from the Caruso, Alex Caruso, who hit four or five of his three-point attempts, and then 11 points as well from Kobe White, seven boards, six assists, three steals, and a block. He's actually he's been better more often than not. You know, I think we I when I was talking about the Bulls, maybe not even last episode, but the season the episode prior, um, I maybe expressed doubt about Kobe White at point guard. Um I don't want to quite walk that back because I think I have some of that, but he's he's shown, you know, some some more ability. He's he's a little bit more well rounded than maybe I was initially thinking. Still not a great shooting game as far as the percentages and the scoring in this one, and maybe that could have been a difference maker. But you don't want to hang it on one player when when you don't necessarily need to. Um, you know, they outside of the five guys who are in double figures, they didn't really have a lot of other scoring, so that could have been a factor as well. I mean, Patrick Williams, one of seven from the floor, definitely rough. So, um, but Kobe White, I think he can he can make it work for Chicago. I don't know if it will be, you know, play in tournament, and that was a talking point on a previous episode as well. But uh, you know, they're also playing the Suns, who who have struggled, but they're a team that we know should be a, a team in the mix for the top of the West. So let's talk about their stats. Grayson Allen actually led the way, twenty six points, eight boards, four assists, two blocks, a steal, stuff in the stat sheet there, and he was eight of thirteen from three point range. Really shooting great from outside. Um, 25 points for Kevin Durant, nine assists, seven boards, two steals, a block. Um, Booker did not play in this game. It looks like maybe uh, getting rest or something of that nature. Hadn't heard about any injury or anything like that. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic, 20 points, 17 boards, eight assists, and two steals. Um, Durant and Nurkic, six turnovers each. So definitely kind of the Suns a little bit lucky to escape with the win after some some turnovers like that. They also had, I mean, they had 21 turnovers compared to Chicago's 14. But when you have guys shooting the ball well like Allen and you have, you know, the talent to make it up, I guess you can you can make that work. And then Bradley Beal, 13 points, four boards, four assists in his debut for the Suns this season. We're still just waiting on them to have the lineup at full strength. Um then we'll be able to really evaluate the team, uh, you know, a little more definitively at that point. But a great win for them, and that was, uh, you know, Wednesday's action that we're we're focusing on. Let's jump to the Thursday games. There was two games on Thursday. We'll talk about both of them, and then we'll go ahead and go back and tell you what we missed from Wednesday as well. The first game, the Indiana Pacers winning at home against the Milwaukee Bucks, one twenty six to one twenty four, overcoming a monster game from Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um, the Pacers led most of the first half and the Bucks actually brought it back in the second half late. Looked like they probably had a great chance to win. And then the Pacers make a run and they, they come up with the win themselves. Um, and they even, they weren't even the better shooting team from the floor. They were a better three point shooting team in the game. Um, you know, stats kind of split in a lot of ways. Uh, credit to the Pacers for being able to close out a late uh, a late victory, I suppose. But yeah, Giannis in this game, 54 points. I want to say that's the highest scoring uh, 
game from a player this season, but uh, it's hard for me to say for sure. Definitely one of the top five, and it is early, but 54 points, 12 boards, three assists, um, and he shot 76% from the floor. He was 16 of 18 from the free throw line for about an 89% free you know free throw percentage and especially his history at the free throw line that's very impressive um he became the fifth player in nba history to lose a game with 50 plus points on 75 percent shooting um can i find the four previous players to lose a game with those numbers i can't but i can tell you that he also had eight turnovers so the highs and lows, I suppose. Chris Middleton with 19 points, four assists, two boards. No Damian Lillard in this one. Definitely something to consider. Malik Beasley, uh, 13 points, four boards, two assists. Campaign started in place of, of Lillard. And then 11 points from Bobby Portis off the bench. Eight boards, two assists, a steal, a block. I mean, Giannis just trying to do or had to do too much on his own in this game. Um, you know, even a guy like Brooke Lopez could get more scoring one of seven, um, you know, Jake Crowder was, was efficient, but he, he only took two shots Connaughton off the bench. I mean, there was just more room for the bucks to, to win this game. They only lost by two, uh, considering the not as good performances from the supporting cast, no Damian Lillard, they still could have got this win. So, um, credit Indiana, um, definitely a, some concerns from Milwaukee, but maybe not as bad as, as face value. Um, but again, a great win for the Pacers regardless. And then finally uh, the Atlanta Hawks in Mexico city this time around uh, this year's Mexico city game uh, a tradition, I guess you could say, but uh, an event that's been going on for a couple of seasons. Now the Atlanta Hawks win uh, as a designated road team, but in Mexico city against the Orlando magic uh, final score 120 to 119 in favor of the Hawks and uh, an exciting game. 10 lead changes. Um, you know, Hawks led most of the game, but then the magic took a big lead in the fourth quarter before the Hawks kind of wrestled it back from them uh, to come up with the victory. Look at the box score for the magic 21 points for Jalen Suggs. He actually led them in scoring uh, with six steals as well. Great game for him. I like to see him kind of, do a little more. You know, I like him as a player. Paolo Bencaro, 17 points, eight boards, four assists. Uh, then they had 13 from both Markel Fultz as well as Maritz Wagner, uh, Wagner off the bench. And then they had 12 each from three guys, Franz Wagner, uh, Goga Batadze starting in place of the injured Wendell Carter Jr. And then 12 off the bench for Jonathan Isaac. Um, a lot to like for Orlando, but the Hawks, again, they just got the win. And Trey Young, a big factor, 41 points for him with eight assists, three steals, and four boards. Um, not the greatest percentages, but he did make 12 of 13 from the free throw line. He made five threes. Um, and the Hawks, a little bit better all-around game, I suppose. 19 from Jalen Johnson. His stock continues to rise steadily throughout the season. Nine boards for him as well. Uh, 16 points for DeJounte Murray, three boards, two assists, two steals. Uh, 15 for Bogdan Bogdanovich coming off the bench with three steals as well. And then 12 points for DeAndre Hunter uh, with a steal and a block. Um, nice things from the Hawks. And again, we, we talked about the potential for the Hawks this season. I like what we've seen from them in the last week or so. 
definitely it'll be exciting to see what they can do uh, over the coming weeks. So those were the games that we wanted to focus on. Let's real quick take you through the games we didn't have a chance to talk about. Uh, from Wednesday, the Pacers also won on Wednesday, 134 to 118 against the Utah Jazz. Uh, Clarkson did have 33 for the Jazz, but uh, they just weren't able to come up with the win. The Washington Wizards won in Charlotte against the Hornets, 132 to 116. Uh, Kuzma and Ball dueling with 30 point plus points each. Um, Kuzma with nine boards, Ball with seven assists, but uh, the Wizards come out on top in that one. The New York Knicks won at home against the San Antonio Spurs, 126-105. Julius Randle with 23.16 boards to help uh, lead the Knicks' effort. The Oklahoma City Thunder won at home against the Cleveland Cavaliers, 128-120. to um, Shea Gilders-Alexander with 43.7 boards, 6 assists. He has not lost pace to where he was last season. Dark Horse MVP candidate, maybe? Certainly a weekly MVP candidate for Monday's show. Definitely a... We'll preview for you there. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves won at home against the New Orleans Pelicans, 122 to 101. Gobert with 17 points, 21 boards in that game to help fuel their effort. The Milwaukee Bucks did win on Wednesday at home against the Detroit Pistons, 120 to 118. Lillard available for that game. He had 34 points uh, versus Cade Cunningham, who had 33 with eight boards, eight assists. Cunningham has looked good. Uh, we'll talk actually about him and a little bit later in the show. The Miami Heat won on the road in Memphis against Grizzlies, 108 to 102. Adebayo with 30 points and 11 boards for the Heat versus Jared Jackson's 28 points. Uh, the Toronto Raptors won in Dallas against the Mavericks, 127 to 116. Pascal Siakam with 31 points, 12 boards, five assists compared to Luka Doncic, 31.7 boards, eight assists. The Sacramento Kings won in overtime at home against the Portland Trailblazers, 121 to 118. Jeremy Grant, 38 points, nine boards, five assists. Uh, but the Kings able to get the win. Demonis Sabonis with a near triple double, 27 points, 11 boards, nine assists. The first meeting as well of the Murray Twins in the NBA. Uh, Keegan, of course, a, a great rookie last season with the Kings. And now uh, Chris Murray, his brother, a rookie for the Trailblazers. Uh, the Kings get the win there. And then finally, one we could have talked about and maybe should have, but uh, the Denver Nuggets winning at home against the Golden State Warriors, 108 to 105. Jokic, 35 points, 13 boards, five assists. We talk about those two teams plenty. You know, a matchup between them we could focus on, but. Uh, you know, maybe we talk about some other teams for just a second, but uh, otherwise that was your Wednesday action. And that gets us caught up on uh, the last couple of days of NBA action. Let's real quick focus on uh, the key news for the last couple of days. A lot of injury updates. Firstly, uh, just a clarification for the Wednesday game between the, the Timberwolves and the Trailblazers, uh, not, not the Trailblazers, Timberwolves and the Pelicans. Uh, Zion Williamson for the Pelicans. He missed Wednesday's game in Minnesota due to personal reasons. So I guess just an update in case you're wondering why I didn't play. Um, unfortunate news for the Portland Trailblazers and for this player who I like, uh, forward center Robert Williams III is going to have to go under undergo uh, season-ending right knee surgery. I think we mentioned the injury. I can't remember if we had said this update in particular about whether it would be season-ending or not, but definitely tough to lose a guy like that, you know, and in Portland, we know they're not going to be really 
even fighting for a play in or, or really looking to be in the play in tournament, they they could be more competitive than we expect. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of guarding your trade interest from teams that were looking to, to kind of bolster their lineup. Um, I like his play style, the time Lord, you know, he's a great guy. Um, definitely a tough loss. And we want to wish him the best as he works to recover from that and uh, hopefully make a strong return next season uh, as the timeline currently stands. Um, a few more injury updates. Firstly, for the Clippers, uh, Mace, center Mason Plumley has a left knee MCL sprain. Uh, could be sidelined for as long as two months, uh, but that could be, you know, worst case scenario. We'll definitely keep you updated on that. For the Minnesota Timberwolves guard, Jordan McLaughlin has a right knee MCL sprain. He'll be reevaluated in four weeks. For the Miami Heat guard, Tyler Hero has a grade two ankle sprain. He'll be reevaluated in two weeks. And then for the Brooklyn Nets, Guard Cam Thomas has a left ankle sprain, and he'll be reevaluated in two weeks as well. All four of these guys, again, we want to wish them the best as they recover from these injuries. Um, Definitely tough to see both Hero and Thomas leave. They're two guards that had some really nice starts to the season, especially Cam Thomas scoring the ball. But uh, hopefully they're able to come back sooner rather than later and uh, and not really lose any steam uh, with that time that they will miss. Uh, an update from the uh, Players Association. Andre Iguodala has been appointed the acting executive director. Um, he replaces Tamika Tremaglio, who stepped down uh, from their position. Uh, I- Iguodala, of course, recently retired. Um, he's now just kind of serving this role to help uh, in the meantime while they look for a little bit more of a long-term replacement uh, at that position. For the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, more of the Sixers organization and affiliates, um, the uh, Delaware Bluecoats have hired former Magic All-Star guard Jameer Nelson, uh, or promoted him, rather, to the position of general manager. Um, of course, the, the Bluecoats, the G League affiliate of the Sixers, so definitely cool. I always like to see, you know, former players in coaching roles, GM roles. It, you know, feels like a that has a good chance of working out. But, uh, yeah, cool to see that. Couple of transactions as well. The Detroit Pistons have signed forward Kevin Knox a second uh, to a kind of standard contract. And the same thing for the Golden State Warriors. They've signed uh, Gui Santos uh, to a standard contract. Both those guys filling in empty spots that the two teams had available. The Warriors, I think, still have a spot or two available. They can sign some other free agents. But uh, regardless, there's some transactions for you. And then finally, just a small kind of thing in the wins. Uh, the NBA. Uh, reportedly discussed possible extension of the draft schedule to a two-day draft schedule versus the 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 one night of the draft we currently have uh, in a meeting with the the league's general managers um, within the last couple of days. I, I'm kind of lukewarm on this. I you know the the draft. I think sometimes, of course, it's exciting the lottery especially. I think the coverage in the later rounds can be a little bit or the later, you know, later stages of the draft can be a little bit dry. I think sometimes they go a little bit too in depth on just a handful of storylines. It'd be nice to focus a little bit more holistically on the draft. Of course, you're going to have the key storylines. You think about last, this most recent draft, Wemby was the big player. Um, You had the overtime elite guys, the Thompson, the Thompson twins. um, And then a couple other storylines with that. But, it seemed like most of the coverage of that night was just those guys, but then there was, you know, 
20 plus or, or more than that, 40 or 50 plus more players picked that got just a, a quick footnote, you know, we could spread the coverage around a little bit more, I would think, but uh, regardless, just something in the works as a possibility, definitely nothing definitive at that time uh, or at this time, but otherwise that is it for our key news. Um, and with it being a Friday, let's go ahead and jump into uh, one of our big Friday segments, one of my favorite segments to do. And that is our franchise focus. Franchise focus. All right. And uh, as I think we alluded to earlier in the week, we're talking about the Brooklyn Nets this time around. Um, Again, this season, we're going alphabetically by city. Uh, So we started with Atlanta. Boston was last week. Now we are in Brooklyn for the Nets. And we're going to start with, of course, the current team and their kind of outlook. Um, I can't remember. I had just looked at it, whether last season when we did the franchise focus, uh, whether they still had Durant and Irving in the fold at that point, or if it had just been after the trade. Um, either way, of course, the, the the focus for the Nets looks much different this time around with Bridges, Cameron Johnson, who's only played one game this season, unfortunately, but those two guys, along with, you know, a Cam Thomas, um, Spencer Dinwiddie a little bit, um, but those are kind of the, the key players. And of course, Ben Simmons, um, the key players for the team at this point, um, Simmons has been solid for the most part. Um, definitely the scoring still a big drop off, but he's actually averaging a career high in rebounds at the moment. Um, decent assist numbers. The defensive stats have actually gone down a touch, but uh, he's still playing that point guard spot. Um, a unique brand of basketball, but he's making it work. The, the nets are four and four at the, uh, the the moment I'm recording this, I believe, unless there's a game from tonight that's updated that. But uh, actually, the Boston game might have changed that. Let me go ahead and make sure I give you the the most accurate information for the current moment that I can. Uh, standings. They. Uh, oh. Well. That doesn't seem right. Eight and ten, huh? That's a lot of games for them to have played compared to other teams. Why is it eight and ten? <laughs> that's I know that's wrong. Um hold on. Let me see if I can find this. This must be a joy to to listen to. I apologize. There we go. Four and five. So they lost tonight to the Celtics, but uh either way, they're they're still, you know. Hovering around 500, which in the Eastern Conference we know is um, a good chance for at least a play-in tournament appearance. Um, and that was kind of a pick for me as far as my thoughts for them going into the season. So I think they're, you know, them being on track, that's a good thing. Um, Mikael Bridges hasn't been as electric offensively as he was uh, after the the trade happened last season. Um, he was even better in the playoffs but he's still been very productive 20 points about five and a half boards, four assists, a steal a game, about half a block a game. Of course we know his, his defensive impact has been his calling card for most of his career. Um, 
about 47% from the floor, 32% from three point range, 87% from the free throw line. He's been very good. Um, Cam Thomas, of course, has been a more exciting offensive prospect, but he's, he's had some defensive numbers as well. Here's the stat line so far, 27 points, four boards, two assists, a steal a game and about 0.6 blocks a game. Similar percentages, honestly, to Mikhail Bridges, 85% from the free throw line, but he's been scoring more points. You know, some of that, he's just been taking more shots, but uh, those two guys, you know, your shooting guard and your small forward. I like that mix for, for Brooklyn, along with, of course, Cameron Johnson, um, you know, last season after the trade, he was averaging about 16 and a half points a game, five boards, two assists with uh, one and a half steals as well. If Cameron Johnson can reemerge and be solid, that's three guys, the two cams and McHale that I think really set your franchise up nicely. You have Dinwiddie still, who's, you know, been in the league a little while. You have Simmons. He has some interesting pieces here. Lonnie Walker, the fourth, of course, has been getting some nice run as a maybe de facto sixth man for them a little bit. Nick Claxton has only played one game, and he's a big factor for this team as well when he plays. So what's the upside? What's the outlook here? I think those guys gelling. Nick Claxton, I mean, that's a great lineup. If those guys are all starting, they're all healthy. And even if they're playing just at their current level of production or their expected level of production, that can be, I think that could be a top half team, you know, certainly a a playoff team or play-in team at the very least. You know, I think they could be, they could finish where they finished last season. They could be a sixth team in the East. I think they could be right in that mix. You know, Claxton Johnson with Bridges and Thomas, if Thomas is keeping up that level of scoring, you have guys off the bench. You have Ben Simmons with his style at point guard, Dinwiddie. That's a great mix. I like where they're at, the the youth of those stars, and they've kind of recouped, I think, maybe a little more of their draft stock or or positioning their contract situation they've kind of healed up this lineup from the potential of you know they they gave up to get stars in in harden and you know and then they got some back with simmons and all that but the um when you're constructing a team with the free agency and the the trades for that that star level of player kind of what we've seen um of course with the clippers in, in very recent history with the harden trade uh the sixers did it with harden uh we've seen it with phoenix you know you're going to risk obviously the young talent development or acquiring young talent the draft stock all those things and brooklyn of course was in that kind of position just last season but now they've kind of flipped the the script and I really like that for their organization. I'm not saying it's wrong to acquire the the star players. We've seen it work. We've seen the Lakers win a championship in recent history with the Anthony Davis trade. You know, you've just got to really know what you're doing. And um, I like where the Nets are at. I think if they can stay healthy, 
you know, Cam Thomas, of course, out for a couple of weeks here with that ankle injury. But if they can get him back, they can get Claxton and Johnson back. I think this is a team that's going to surprise people and finish near like the, the fifth or sixth spot in the East. I honestly do. I like their makeup. And I think the future is bright for Brooklyn. You know, it's a very exciting time for the Nets. Um, so that's the current team's outlook. As far as a historic team to focus on, I want to talk about a team that gets mentioned every now and then. But, man, it's a shame that the run for this team ended the way it did and that they didn't have a chance to fulfill their promise even more. I want to talk about the 1993 the 92 to 93 New Jersey Nets season um, because they're a playoff team and they were quickly on the rise. They were 43 and 39 that season, third in their division. Their head coach was Chuck Daly. Their executive was Willis Reed. Um, right off the bat, Chuck Daly, legendary head coach, just a few seasons prior, he'd won a championship with Detroit. Well, back to back championships with the Detroit Pistons. So, you're already off to a hot start there. But you look at their lineup. It starts with Drazen Petrovic, one of the uh, underrated players in history. Um, 22 points a game, three and a half assists, nearly three boards, about a steal a game. I mean, the numbers aren't electrifying, but they had a well-rounded lineup. But they also, I mean, he was a tremendous shooter, and he was – at the point he played, he was on path to easily become the greatest shooter in the game's history at that time. I mean, he was shooting about 52% from the floor and 44% from three-point range in the 90s. I mean, by far, you know, he, he was kind of an anomaly almost at that time. Two and a half three-point attempts a game. Um, so he really, he was still a product of his era in the sense that he wasn't shooting a lot of threes. But, uh, you know, he was... He was a, a lights out shooter and he had a great cast around him. Maybe a, you know, a, a terrific trio, if you will, or that, you know, a big three. I wouldn't quite go that far, but Derek Coleman, 20 points, 11 boards, about two blocks or nearing two blocks, about a steal a game, nearly four assists. A lot of well-rounded play from him. They had Kenny Anderson at point guard. 17 points, eight assists, nearly two steals. Chris Morris, an underrated forward, 14 points, six boards, two steals. And then Sam Bowie, who always gets, you know, kind of not lambasted, but they don't, people don't want to give him credit because there's a perception of a draft bust. And you can have that conversation, but he was a productive pro. And this was a season where he played 80 games. He started 65 of those games. 9.7 boards, one and a half blocks. He was a serviceable starting center, and I like that makeup. You have Ramil Robinson coming off the bench, diminutive guard out of Michigan who had some scoring ability, kind of a combo guard. Chris Dudley, who was a, a big center, seven boards in about 19 minutes a game, one and a half blocks. He could just fill that paint up. Um, Chucky Brown, the the loved veteran and then they had you know veteran leadership further in a, a few guys they had you know mo cheeks uh bernard king rick mahorn guys who had been around a while king with some scoring mahorn with some toughness maurice cheeks veteran point guard presence 
Jason Williams, who was this, yeah, this was kind of early in his career before he had become an all-star with the, the Nets in the late 90s. Um, this was a great mix of a team, you know, and I felt like they could have been a, a staple as a, a very solid Eastern Conference team in the 90s, you know, consistent playoff appearances as a lower seed, um, you know, first or second round type thing. But the the tragic tragedy of this team they lose a, a five game series in in a fifth game that this isn't the tragedy but they it was a short end to the season they lost in the first round to the Cleveland Cavaliers uh who were probably yeah they're they're a much better team 54 and 28 um but they lost a five game series it was close the nets could have upset them and moved on at which point they would have faced the Chicago Bulls in the semifinals that would have been intriguing you know of course i think the bulls still easily win a series like that but uh petrovic versus jordan in a playoff series which i don't think we ever really got would have been would have been exciting um but speaking of petrovic in particular that's really the tragedy of this team because it was in that off season after the season that we're talking about um june 7th of 1993 uh he he was killed in a car accident and he was 28 years old and he was a little bit older, you know, compared to his NBA experience. He'd only been in the league for, Oh, maybe four or five seasons at that point. Let me double check. Actually a little bit more about five seasons. He'd been in, in European leagues. Of course he's Croatian. Um, but it's just such a, a shame. First of all, to, to lose a life like that in general, to lose a player who had been emerging as one of the league's best, an all-star type player, one of the great shooters of all time. You know, ask Reggie Miller, who is in the conversation himself, ask Reggie Miller about Drazen Petrovic, and he will tell you how great of a player he was. And, you know, it's unexpected, and then suddenly you have to figure out, okay, we don't have our our star player anymore. They actually finish with a slightly better record the following season. They don't have the same, you know, same star player though. They fill the void with Kevin Edwards, who is a serviceable pro. Um, they add PJ Brown. They lose some of the veterans and then Chuck Daly moves on. They kind of fall, fall back a bit they rebuild in the late nineties and they, they get back into the playoffs where they lose to the bulls. But you know, there was just such a, a high ceiling. I felt you have Chuck Daly, one of the great head coaches. You're an, you know, a rising star in his prime with a great cast around him. And then it just gets cut short. And I think it's a, a real tragic kind of what if story of what that team really could have done. I don't think, you know, conference championships or anything like that is in the mix, but just being a team that was a threat in that nineties mix in the East, you know, I think could have been really something, you know, what if we had a New Jersey, New York rivalry brew with those two teams at a high level in that period, you know, that would have been, I think really fun, but it's a, it's just a shame. We lost a, a guy, a player and a person like that so early, but definitely, you know, a fun team 
for the the short time that we had them. Um, so that's a team that I wanted to focus on. And then as far as a player is concerned, uh, there's a few options. You know, the Nets have some some great players in their history. I wanted to talk about uh, John Williamson, also known as Super John or Soup, uh, a shooting guard, 6'2", 185, uh, out of New Haven, Connecticut, played his college ball at New Mexico State. Um, and he, we, on last year's episode, I know that we talked about one of the ABA championship teams for the Nets. He was one of the key factors on that team or those teams, even, um, in the two years they won the championship, he was a starter and he was a a solid scorer, about 14, 15 points a game. Um, good percentages from the floor, not a three point shooter. Um, but a, a good score picked up some boards, some assists after they, uh, the, the nets joined the NBA that first NBA season, he was traded mid season to the Indiana Pacers the following season, mid season, he was traded back to the nets and that 1978, uh, second half of a season with the nets, their first year in New Jersey, he averaged 29 and a half points a game over those 33 games. Um, those similar boards and, and assist numbers. The following season, he averages 22 points, three assists, two boards um, as they kind of get back to the playoffs. Following season, he's traded mid-year to the Bullets, and then he's cut early in the 81 season uh, due to concerns about his playing weight. And uh, kind of a career that ended abruptly, when he was at his best, though, I mean, you look at the 79 season. Again, that was the back half. Or no, it was the following season. Of course, the 78 season was where the back half of it, he averaged 29 points a game. The following year in 79 to make the playoffs. Two games of the playoffs, he averages 29 points a game. Goes off in those two games. Um, a great scorer. You know, he's revered as a, a great jump shooter. Of course, he had a nickname like Super John. Players respected his game. Um, he's a, a leader in the Nets franchise history um, in a few categories still. And I want to see if I can find those real quick for you. Um, career leaders. He might not be in career leaders. Um I think single game performances potentially. Um, yeah, it might be hard to find that. Um, one of them I know for sure. Uh, he, he leads the franchise in most free throw attempts in a game, 24. Um, tied later on by Vince Carter and Devin Harris. Um, his numbers retired by the Nets. One of the three uh, who was an ABA player that the Nets retired the number four the other two uh bill melchioni or melchioni and uh a guy by the name of julius irving who was his teammate and you know you can think of john williamson who's really the co-star in a lot of ways of those championship nets teams with with dr j as the star um larry keenan as well um billy paltz maybe you know that's the 74 team if you look at the 76 team the last championship team in the ABA's history. At that point, John Williamson really was solidified as the co-star. Um, 
And it's also interesting to think, you know, what if Dr. J was still with the Nets as they went into the NBA? You know, they're the New York Nets of the NBA now, but they have Dr. J and and, uh, John Williamson still. If they keep most of those guys, you know, would that team have been a playoff team, a competitive team in the East? You know, what what about a a Nets-Knicks playoff series in the – you know, the late seventies that I think is really interesting to to think about, but uh, you know, a great player and another guy we lost too soon. I mean, he was kind of well past his playing career, but he passed away at the age of 45 uh, died of kidney failure related to, to diabetes. Um, it was 96, uh, 1996. That is. So I don't know. I guess kind of a, a somber feel to this franchise focus a little bit. Um, but really just remembering a couple of players, you know, Petrovic as well, that 93 team and John Williamson, who were great players, underrated, forgotten, um, but also just guys that we lost a little bit too soon. But um, I think my, the where I want to end this off is the Nets have a good, uh, a great franchise history. They have a championship franchise history and they, yeah, they've had a lot more years where they've been kind of not great compared to years where they've been really good, but let's tie it back into where we started with the, the young core and the exciting potential, you know, seems like they have good leadership kind of in place, especially with the head coach, Jacques Vaughn. I like him and I feel like they can be, a team that starts to to build, you know, kind of more of a history of of solid play. You know, you really look at their last, um, let's say, the last twenty seasons or so. Yeah, in the middle of that, they were pretty bad, and there was a couple of years in you know four or five years ago where they were bad as well, but. Outside of that, they've been a little more competitive more often than not. They've made the playoffs more than half of those years. And I think it's a good turning point for kind of how we perceive the Nets, especially coming off of, you know, years like the the 2010 Nets where they were abysmal. You know, it's a team that I feel like gets kind of thought about as, you know, a way station for players, for coaches you know, for careers. I think this is a, a franchise that's on the up and up and they're, they have a great history and they're building. And I, I like them going forward, I suppose, to be competitive, but um, let's end it there. We we've rambled long enough about the nets and their players and their history. Let's instead shift the focus, brighten things up a little bit. Again, it was kind of somber. I didn't really plan it that way with both Petrovic and Williamson, but let's move on to just a quick conversation about our friend, uh, our fantasy Fridays, just a quick update for things on the fantasy front. Okay. Um, as far as the fantasy uh, situation goes, let me, Real quick, check on. It looks like I have a chance to get my first win of the season, but this is also my first week of actually being effective at updating my lineups. 
uh, this is slightly embarrassing, but I was kind of forgetting about the fact that you can set lineups days in advance and it's like, oh, well, that makes it so much easier. You know, I, I think I was just used to the, the football style of fantasy in the sense that you have for the most part, one day of the week where games are happening. Of course, there's also a couple other days, but it's like, okay, well, we'll set the lineups for the week and then go from there. But with basketball, they're playing, you have guys playing every day. So, you know, but you can set daily lineups. You can set them for the whole week. You know, you can do the whole week in one go. You can do the whole month in one go if you really wanted to. But, um, I've updated my lineups today in particular. It looks like Kyrie's done well, Drew Holiday, Valanciunas, Van Vliet, um, Mitchell and Jokic didn't play tonight. I feel like I have an, 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 a nice lineup. If we're looking at the league, I mean, I don't think I have the best lineup. The The team I'm actually playing is undefeated so far, so I might have – or no, sorry, that's not the team I'm playing. Uh the team with Luca on the roster is two and zero, and I'm curious about that matchup. Yeah, they're they're winning that matchup. Looks like they're going to move to three and zero. Luca probably a huge factor for that. Let's check out um all players. Yeah, Luca along with Jokic. Jokic actually is the leader in in fantasy average Luca's right there and bead is right there as well um you know pretty safe bets as far as your top fantasy performers are concerned um i'm one of the only two guys that has not won a game yet or a matchup that is the other guy looks like he might lose as well and that other guy actually is justin not sure again we've talked about justin has quite the busy schedule not sure if he's really had a chance. It doesn't look like he has to keep his lineups updated. Um, so that's a shame. Justin, if you happen to be listening, update your lineups, man. Uh, it'd probably help. Looking at our, our free agents, I was just kind of curious who's available at the moment. Austin Reeves, Jalen Green, Jalen Duran. But I actually put in a uh, a waiver or a claim on Duran. I'm going to maybe try and give up Jabari Smith in exchange for Duran. He was just dropped today by one of the teams. And I think, you know, it was due to an injury, but looks like he's now listed just a couple hours ago. He was listed as out, but now he's listed as day to day. So why not try and pick him up? You know, this is where I need to try and uh, start making some moves to put myself in a better position. Of course, there's guys like Anthony Simons, who's, a much higher average, but he's is out right now with injury. Um, wonder if I could capitalize on, you know, a guy like Cam Thomas. Not sure who has him. That one would be a good one to have. Um, yeah, I don't know. The that's really the big one for me as far as my team. Uh, I'm hoping that that claim of Duran can can be a, a point where my team can start making moves to build up a little bit. And as far as moving goes, let's talk about our weekly movers. Um, master of segues here. Our weekly movers, we pick three players, um, one who's uh, kind of on the rise, one who's maybe falling a bit in production. 
And then a player who's a little bit of a sleeper. I mean, this one, I maybe could have swapped him with our riser. I don't think this guy's production is getting forgotten, but it's a bit surprising early on. And I think it's worth looking at, you know, the sustainability of the production, but he's looked great so far. But uh, let's first talk about our riser, Cade Cunningham. His scoring average is up about four, four more points a game this year. Uh, compared to last season's averages, about one more assist. His three-point percentage is up a good amount, um, about 5%. And um, he's healthy. The Pistons are competitive a little more. Um, he's looking to really have his his sophomore season. After last season, he played a handful of games before injury. Um, and I'd like to see him get more run he's more adjusted to the NBA game and he's getting more, more and more opportunities to play. Well, um, I like Cade Cunningham in, uh, in Detroit, a faller. I've picked Zach Levine and it's not a big fall here. I mean, just a couple of points and, and an assist or so a game that he's fallen off compared to last season. His field goal percentage is a bit off about six less percent. So it could be a stretch to even put him here, but just, something to watch for. And especially with the bulls, I guess, as a team, you know, kind of how they go and there's maybe the trade wins picking up for Levine Would that impact his production, you know, just something to be, be aware of there. And then again, our sleeper, this is a guy who's averaging 10 more points a game than he was last season. Maybe a bit of a stretch for the sleeper category, but Shaden sharp for the trailblazers, um, especially with Scoot Henderson out for a little while with injury and Anthony Simons out with injury. He was already getting more opportunities. He's just going to get even more opportunities and more workload and more minutes. I mean, more everything. Again, 10 more points a game this season, about 1.7 more assists a game per season, uh, per game this season. And a lot of that, the minutes increase, he's averaging about 17 more minutes a game this season, but the percentages have stayed the same from last year. And I think that's a good sign. He's with increased opportunity. He's staying, he's keeping his efficiency. He's just scoring more, doing more. I like him for a player to watch for um, in, in fantasy at this point. But um, yeah, that I think is again, a real quick, uh, a quick one, but a, a quick update in and look into our, our fantasy picture at this current moment. Um, this is also where we would maybe in later weeks do a check-in on our weekly predictions. Again, it's, it's early to, to really have much to, to add to our, the predictions we've made up to this point. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into our weekend forecast, get you set up with the games for this weekend and what to look for. All the times that I will give for these games are in Eastern Standard Time, so definitely keep that in mind as you're planning your schedule uh, around any games that you want to see. We'll start on Saturday. There's four games. One of them is a national broadcast on NBA TV at 8.30. Again, Eastern Standard Time, the Golden State Warriors hosting the Cleveland Cavaliers, um, two of the better teams in in the NBA, Donovan Mitchell versus Stephen Curry. Very exciting stuff there. Remaining games from Saturday, 6 o'clock, the Orlando Magic hosts the Milwaukee Bucks. 7 o'clock, the Boston Celtics host the Toronto Raptors. And then at 7.30, a Southeast Division matchup, the Atlanta Hawks uh, hosting the Miami Heat. So there's your Saturday games for you. Sunday, we have 11 games. None of them are national broadcasts, so these are all league pass games. If you have league pass, uh, you know, 
These are all the games that you'll you'll have to look out for. You have a matinee, 12 o'clock noon, uh, noon Eastern Standard Time, very early for an NBA game. The New York Knicks host the Charlotte Hornets, a Madison Square Garden matinee, if you will. Uh, at 3 o'clock, the Brooklyn Nets host the Washington Wizards. At 3.30, the LA Clippers host the Memphis Grizzlies. The Clippers hoping to get back in the win column. The Grizzlies hoping to find some sort of momentum. They've struggled to early, to start the season, as, as we talked about last time. Uh, 6 o'clock, the Sixers host the Indiana Pacers. That's intriguing. The Pacers have been hot lately. The Sixers, of course, a top team at the moment. Really a test for the Pacers um, more than for the Sixers, but that one is kind of a sneaky good game, if you will. Uh, 7 o'clock, the San Antonio Spurs host the Miami Heat. Wemby versus uh, you know Bam and Jimmy Butler. That could be intriguing. Wemby is always intriguing. Also at 7, uh, the New Orleans Pelicans hosting the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, good test for both teams. Two, two teams you expect to be at the top, uh, near the top in the West. Uh, also at 7, the Houston Rockets host the Denver Nuggets. Big challenge for the Rockets there. Also at 7, a... Uh, Central Division matchups, Chicago Bulls host the Detroit Pistons at 8 o'clock. The Phoenix Suns host the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. Chet Holmgren versus Kevin Durant. That one's intriguing. Uh, At 8.30, the Golden State Warriors host the Minnesota Timberwolves. That one is sneaky good as well. Uh, Timberwolves and Warriors, two top teams at the moment in the West. Anthony Edwards versus Stephen Curry that time around. Um, That one's, I might have to check that one out. That one sounds really good. Um, and then 10 o'clock, the uh, Los Angeles Lakers hosting the Portland Trailblazers. The Lakers trying to build some some momentum against a Trailblazers team that's shown some moxie. Uh, that one should be uh, pretty good to watch for as well. And then on Monday, we have four games, uh, two of those, a NBA TV doubleheader. Firstly, at 730, the Boston Celtics host the New York Knicks. It's another classic, classic matchup Two of the early two of the you know founding teams in the NBA. Um, a rivalry in their own right in the uh, Atlantic division there. And then at 10 o'clock, the Sacramento Kings host the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, that one should be good to watch for as well. Then two other games from Monday at 730, the Toronto Raptors host the Washington Wizards. And then at eight o'clock, uh, the Bulls continue their central division matchups with a road game in Milwaukee against the Bucks. So a lot of great games to watch for. Again, I think the the Pacers Sixers game and the Timberwolves Warriors game kind of think of that as a, a double header, almost on league pass. If you have it, I would check that out. I might check that out myself. That sounds really, uh, really exciting, honestly. So that is it for our game summaries. And really that's it for our show. We'll go ahead and wrap things up for you with our, this day in history fact, we're going back to 1964 for this one. Uh, 1964, we're talking uh, Detroit Pistons and Dave DeBusher. Uh, Detroit Pistons player coach Dave DeBusher recorded his first coaching victory, 119 to 117, against Baltimore. But the game was in Philadelphia, interestingly enough. This was before the Sixers, the Nationals at that time, the Syracuse Nationals. This was before, just a few years before they were moved to Philadelphia to become the 76ers. Um, and early in the NBA's history, especially 50s and 60s, it wasn't, it was not at all uncommon to see teams play games in non-home venues uh, just because. I mean, I want to say that Wilt Chamberlain's 100-point game was actually in Pens- 
uh, while they were the Philadelphia Warriors at that time, but uh, they, because I think there was a time in between where the Warriors moved to San Francisco, but the Nationals hadn't moved to Philadelphia. So this was probably in that period where Philadelphia didn't have a team. Regardless, I think the Wilts Hunter Point game, uh, there was the Philadelphia Warriors at that time, but I think that came in Hershey, Pennsylvania, maybe. I can't remember. And I, I'm struggling to remember who they played, but regardless, Dave DeBusher, player coach, first coaching victory. At age 24, DeBusher was the youngest coach in NBA history. Um, yeah, he was also a major league pitcher uh, for, I want to say, like the Tigers. He ended up being a not an NBA commissioner, but he was like the Knicks general manager, maybe. Um, he was a man of many hats. And uh, one of the more underrated players as well. I mean, he was a great rebounder, almost like a stretch four, if you will. He played small forward too, but uh, great player, great coach, great pitcher, great guy all around. That takes uh, that takes care of our show for today. Real quick, I want to just thank you all again for listening, and I'll also plug our social media pages for you uh, on both Instagram and Facebook. That's crossover across time. Uh, pretty straightforward to find us there on Twitter or X, whichever you prefer. That's X over across time, just because of the character limit. Um, on all of those, you'll find a link tree which links to any of the other social media pages, but also to the podcast itself. You're already listening to it, but in case you're not aware of all the places where you're available. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and RSS.com. So definitely check all of that out. Again, we appreciate the support. We'll be back on Monday for our normal Monday show, you know, our weekly MVP, our power rankings, all that stuff. But that being said, thanks again for listening. And this time around, have a good weekend. <laughs>